Well, back, welcome back to America, Frank. Um, Frank was on a long uh, week and a half, two week long journey, and you didn't even know because we recorded ahead of time and he just landed and it's 933 on Sunday, which means that I got no time to edit this podcast. And I'm really, really, really sore because I laid down 120 pavers in the backyard today, Frank. Ooh, how house man over here. House improvement, man. That, that That's good stuff. 120 pavers. What's that get you like 10 feet? Uh, no, no, so they're pretty big pavers. There were, uh, so in in a row, there's six of them. They're 12 by 12, two of them, and then, uh, 18 by 18 and then another 12 by 12. So, and, and that is, I guess, the, I don't know, nine feet by the, I don't know, it's about 30 feet or 40 feet. So it's pretty big. It's pretty big, uh, area. And let's just say they're not as straight as I would like them to be, but. Oh, oh, well, uh, here's what happened. <laughs> what, what ended up happening is I got about three hours into the process and I was digging, mm. I was doing stuff, you know, and I, I got the tamper and, and then I was like, I, I quit. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I was like, was no, no, no. one or two, <laughs> I had put down zero pavers. And then oh. I was like, okay, I'm going to, I put down the weed barrier. I got the, the sand out. And then I put down about. 30 pavers. And then I was like, Heather called out Heather. And I was like, should I, should I quit? This looks terrible. And then she's like, it looks amazing. And I was like, okay, I'm like in it. Right. So I was like, I kind of gave up at trying to levelize everything, but it's good. It'll work. It they'll settle. They'll settle. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It rains a lot there, right? It, it, yeah, winter rain. will come. The ground will soften. You'll be fine. It'll well, I was happen. In Scotland and Ireland, which turns out to be the capital of the world for gardening and lawn care and mm-hmm. landscaping. So I think uh, I have high standards now, so I can't wait to see some photos from you. I yeah, tomorrow when it's bright outside, I'll send you a photo. I'll send you the pre photo <laughs> tonight uh, and then you can see the post photo. tomorrow. <laughs> it looks good when you walk on no, it. Just- I, I, I'm not going to make fun because I want to do the same thing. And if I make fun of you, it's, mine's just going to come out worse. So you know what? I, I think you did a great job without seeing a darn thing. Yeah. Had I spent the entire holiday weekend, it would have been perfect. But I spent uh-huh. I did spend a long time. I spent like the entire day. So, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's get into it because it's lightning I, time. All right, I got all the questions. All right. But before we get into lightning topics, the number one, which might be a little bit longer. How much of Microsoft build did you get to see on your holiday? Because I was there in person. Yeah, you got to see it all. Well, I, I did the YouTube approach. You know, it's Good. the modern world. We're, we're, we're COVID world. <laughs> now I can watch everything on the YouTubes. Uh, even better, I get Cena uh, and Verge are doing the five minute, seven minute reviews. So I saw all 12 minutes of Build. I assume Build was only 12 minutes long. And I That's saw it. all of it. No, uh, I actually, I, I, was, I was lucky. I didn't get to see any sessions yet. Mm. But I did, um, because I'm such a nerd, I had to watch the State of GPT session, a little keynote there. And because I'm a Scott Hanselman fanboy, I had to watch some Scott Hanselman time as he built asteroids without writing any code. So, uh, you know, I would say this is probably the worst build I've... <laughs> that, that almost sounded wrong. <laughs> I I was the worst build attendee I've ever been <laughs> this year, uh, but I'll make up for it. You know, I'm going to be jet lagged and I'm just going to be watching videos on the TV. So it's going to be fine. I mean, you were on holiday, so you watched something which is better than what I thought was going to happen, which was like maybe just a five minute <laughs> review and that's it. Now, I will say 
at a very high level. So I was there in person. I got to go to the pre-day, which was a workshops and I was uh, bopping along. I was actually in charge of the podcast booth where you and I have uh, recorded in previously, but this year had some uh, marketing was in charge of it. So marketing made it look real nice. Uh, and it looked and I tweeted it out and looked amazing. Yeah. So I was helping that out with uh, my friend Kendall in marketing, and that was super good. But uh, I did get to watch the keynotes, the day two keynotes, which was the Windows one, and then the closing keynote, which was the Asteroid game with Mark and <laughs> Scott. Here's the thing about this build. Now, say what you will about there being a lot of AI because there was a lot of AI, especially on day one and on day two, there was there was even more of it, but not to the extent of, you know, I guess the, the keynote, which makes sense. I'll say this. Here's my quote. This is the most developer event. That is a developer event, developer conference. Yeah. It's like the most developery conference that I think I've been to in person and attended virtually for the most part. I was watching a lot of them online in a long time, since like maybe years past, like 10 years ago at Google I.O. Because, and I say that because compared to Google I.O., which for the most part, those keynotes were very marketing-y, right? Now there was plenty of marketing mm -hmm. stuff, but when you oh, yeah. look at those keynotes, right? Like a lot of that stuff that was in there was like really key and core to developers. Like Dev Home, for example, a lot of stuff they're doing in WSL and WSA, a lot of stuff they're doing in Windows itself. I mean, uh, the .NET podcast app, Merch Conflict, was in multiple <laughs> keynotes, Frank Brueger, our podcast, because I helped with those keynote slide little things. And I'm just, you know, and they're like, oh, do we have do we have copyright to use this? I was like, yes, you can you have copyright to use the logo of our podcast, of course. <laughs> but, you know, I think that was really cool. Satya is talking about like deployment environments and they're talking about enhancements in VS and they're talking about all these great AI infused stuff, obviously. But, you know, I think, you know, I'm sitting here on Windows 11. I got my dev home. I got my dev drive set up. I got all my cool <laughs> stuff going on. I feel like it felt developery to me that that's that's what I want to say more so. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I'll even say, and I, I was thinking of this myself, even though there was an AI focus, we're, we're in the year of AI. This is just how things are. Okay. Let, just let it wash over you. Enjoy it. You know, we don't, we don't get our fun bubbles that often in tech. Let's, let's enjoy them. Um, but all the AI stuff was around dev stuff. Like, yeah. It's here's how it helps you code. Now we, we, I remember when Copilot first came out, there was a lot of naysay or anything and all that. And now it's just like pretty much 90% of people are on board because we're like, these are amazing tools. This is the greatest advancement in IDEs that we've had in the last 10 years, at least probably more. And so even though it was AI, I, I do think it... Yeah, there was a lot of dev stuff, which was good. Yeah. So the, good. But yeah. I got to get into the videos. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole co-pilot thing was about the co-pilot stack, right? To actually build co-pilots and integrate into this ecosystem. And additionally, I don't know if you watched the Windows Day 2 keynote. It was really, really, really good. Also, we make an appearance. Um, but <laughs> they actually talked about like the latest like Onyx models and generating these things. There was a lot of .NET. Like it was a super .NET heavy we talked about it conference to a good extent showing up in keynotes and doing things and being there in person you know there was a there was expert areas everywhere and there was a donut expert area and there were these you know q and a sessions and then the live sessions so there's stuff that you could attend in a bunch of different ways and 
uh, had good vibes all around. It's in the new beautiful um, conference center in downtown Seattle as well. So it's really, really pretty. Not the old one. This is the new hotness Ooh. on Pine, not Pike. So, oh, I, yeah. I really missed out then. Mm. It's all. I'll catch it next year. Yeah. For the AIAR revolution. One. Well, get to your sessions. What did you actually watch? You just need to watch them still. There wasn't any like bangers of, of sessions. No, that, that's what I, that, that's yeah. unfortunately, I, I haven't gotten to watch the good sessions. I mostly did keynotes, just watched the yeah. keynotes and got into all that stuff. But uh, Marcus Sinovich and Scott Hanselman, some of my favorite people. So I had, had yeah. to watch some of that. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was super fun. And the code's up on GitHub now as well, which is cool. It's all mm-hmm. C sharp. And yeah, I mean, I, I feel like day two's big thing was like making Windows the best place to be a developer. And they really like doubled down on that talk as well. And Pandas really went into it. And well, yeah, it I kept good. up on the Twitter and I, I did see a lot of, um, there was a lot of, side-eyeing from the Mac users out there, like, when are we going to get these features? <laughs> so, again, I don't, I, I, I it, it is my lot in life to make this all about Apple, but I do, I'm really curious to see what Apple's response to all this is going to be, because, yeah. yeah. Microsoft definitely, Google first, they beat them to it, but Microsoft laid it out, like, here, here's how to make plugins. Like, I, I think we should do an episode on plugins, AI plugins, because, Obviously, they're being pushed. We'll see if it's going to be a successful marketplace or any of that kind of stuff. But in the very least, we got to talk about the tech and how to build them and all that. Oh, absolutely. And I'm like you. I didn't get to watch too many sessions. I went to the Maui sessions. I really want to watch some of the cloud native stuff because I know they announced a bunch of new packages um, for building like microservices and cloud native apps. And then even the web one I still want to go to. So I need to binge. There's actually a Donut YouTube. I created it, so I know it's there. (laughs) playlist I tweeted it out uh and Fowler retweeted my tweet and I was like whoa amazing uh so that was really cool but it's just really great actually I will say this you know uh it felt really cool to see I mean I've been a remote employee forever but it was really cool to get back in person and everyone said that over and over again but for me it was really special because not only did I get to you know, be at a conference live again uh at a, a magnitude such as build for Microsoft but I got to see all my coworkers, and like that was super yeah. cool like you know and, and I got to see most oh. of my team which was cool I had the FOMO because like uh, they would do those panning shots of the audience during the keynotes. I'm like, people, audience, chairs. I remember that. I remember chairs sitting in an auditorium. It's been a while, but I I have a vague recollection of that. And I had a little bit of the FOMO. I would have really liked to have been there. Uh, Yeah. I haven't heard. um, uh, I wanted to make fun of Microsoft a little bit. There were a few points where they uh, they had a. It's like, oh, this is a good time to clap, audience. But I think we're just all out of practice, too, okay? Give us a break, Microsoft. We don't know how to do live anymore, you know? You're, you're lucky we're wearing pants, okay? And there, there was the flip of it where people would clap, and they're like, oh, yeah, you can clap it. You can uh, clap it up. Yeah, oh, God, I didn't know. Uh, we're so just out of good. practice, okay? Yeah. I am super excited for WWDC to see what Apple does. Uh, I'm real excited for what's happening in the the Microsoft ecosystem and the AI stuff. And some of the stuff, since it was presented in the world of .NET, and there was a lot of other languages too. I was like, oh, cool, I want to do this. I saw Tim Hewer is actually messing around with the plugins mm-hmm. already and stuff like that. So he's got some middleware already available. Which is kind oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> all right, well, let's get into the five questions because that was number one was built a little bit. But Danny... Ackerman gave us five questions, so let's just j- jam Danny on them. I'm ready. Uh, okay, number one, hey, uh, pass keys versus passwords uh, plus MFA. And I need to look up what pass keys were, um, but 
Yes. Like pass keys, like you just face unlock, right? Like that's my face. It's a thing. Well, yeah. I mean, that's your biometrics. Um, I, if that's supported in an app, I think all apps should support that. Whether you're just a social network or not, it's just a better way to log in. But I think, yeah. I think it's getting down to um, do, do you want the super security of a pass key? Mm-hmm. Or are you okay in the password world? Um, I, I, I'm just going to change the question to that because I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> I'll say um, I think passwords have actually gotten more secure because mm-hmm. we are all using password. Maybe maybe I'm in a bubble, but I feel like we're all using password managers now. And it yells at you if you duplicate your password so you don't have the leak problem that we've all had in the past. That said, I have like a thousand websites I need to change my password on. And I was also burnt once by, um, you know, authentication apps and that kind of stuff. I got logged out of a lot of accounts and some of them I still haven't been able to log back into. And so I'm, I'm an old timer. I still feel like passwords are fine, but I get it. The world, the world wants other things. But I loved your answer. Face ID. Yeah, just do face ID, please. Yeah, you know, and people are curious what they are. So pass keys are a new way to sign into apps and websites. I'm reading on blog.google. They're easier to <laughs> use and more secure than passwords. So users no longer need to rely on names of pets, birthdays, or infamous password one, two, three. Oops, got to change my passwords. Instead, pass keys lets users sign in to sites the same way they unlock their devices with the fingerprint, face scan, or screen lock pin. Yeah, you know, I think that you're right. Like, I do believe that my, all my passwords have gotten way more stronger because one, Browsers just have things included. So even if you're not mm-hmm. installing like one password, right, or the other ones, um, it's included in your browser, right? And my Microsoft Authenticator has one, Chrome, Edge, they all have their own password management system. They generate strong passwords for you automatically when you're signing up for stuff. Apple automatically now can use sign in with Apple, which like you don't even have passwords, mm-hmm. you sign in with Apple. Um, and then I think also those services do a great job of notifying you when, uh, things are duplicated or things are leaked or like, uh, through a, have I been pwned type of situation. So I totally agree. Um, and some people might say, well, you know, I don't want a fingerprint or a face scan because someone could get that. Well, they get your phone. If they get your phone, they're going to get into anything every way, anywhere. Yeah. And two factor auth is, is, is worthless if they have access to your device, because, if I log into any website, it sends me an SMS or I have to do a, a Google Authenticate, uh, you know, two-factor auth. Like, if you have access to my phone, you have access to yeah. all of my stuff, right? So I'm totally into it, um, you know. And, and sometimes things are already in the keychain on iOS. So, like, when I, like, download Robinhood or whatever, right, or some other app that stores the tokens and all the stuff in there and it unlocks with my face. It's like, Oh, cool. Like I'm accessing your secure keychain. I have the information. Mm-hmm. Like you're already logged in. Like that's pretty cool. Like I uninstall the, cause I uninstall apps all the time, but it's like when I install Uber or Lyft again, like I uninstall them after every trip, I don't need them on my phone. I'm going to use them more. <laughs> and, um, um, when I install them again, I'm up and running in five seconds after the 500 meg download, because guess what? you know, boom, it's logged in on my keychain. So I feel like it's it, that's the experience that felt good for me. So yeah. I am pro. One, one more caveat, though. Um, okay. As an app developer, I hate running a server that stores passwords. So like yeah. as a user, I don't mind passwords. But as a developer, I'm like, oh, God, am I really going to start storing people's passwords? So I definitely would look to alternatives as best you can. Yeah. But 
I, I think from the user's perspective, they're still they're still fine. You, you'll never be able to get rid of passwords because not everyone has these devices, too, that are super capable. There are feature phones across the globe, right? So I think it'll be an opt-in thing, just like uh, to a, uh, MFA. So all these things are better um, in general, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And I also think that, uh, to be honest with you, if I log into a website like with my Microsoft account, it'll send me a notification. I have to like face unlock and do stuff anyways. And that's my MFA. Like I'd rather an MFA not be a random six digit code. And it's like, it's actually my biometrics. Like why is it not just that? Anyways, I digress. Okay. Number two pros and cons of building mobile applications with UI on canvas. So these are things like flutter or Avalonia or other, uh, Uno, other things that are drawing and not using yeah. native. He specifically said flutter, but then he, said UI yeah. on Canvas. So I'm going to say UI on Canvas. Pros and cons. Well, uh, they're the classic ones. Uh, for me, the con is always on input mechanisms. Hmm. So are you going to support all the varieties of inputs that these phones have? You know, the humble text box in iOS, you tap on that thing. It has 8 billion options, 8 million ways of inputting stuff into it. It's got the microphone inputs. You can definitely re-implement all that stuff yourself. But you're constantly playing this cat and mouse game with Apple. They introduce a new input thing. You got to get your canvas on whatever to uh, update for it and handle it. This is why you and I both like to be little native app developers because we don't want to, I don't want to update my app on every iOS revision in order to get the new way to do input on the finger. And so if you're one of those new programmers out there that loves updating package references all the time and you you stay up to date on all those and you love it, then maybe maybe it's fine. But yeah, the big con for me has always been the input mechanisms. Certainly you can do interesting things with animation, but you know what's really good at animation? core animation it's <laughs> yeah. really efficient at it it's hardware backed i mean you can write a hardware back thing i just rewrote a new hardware backed neural network library but you know what it's a lot of work and it's not quite as good as you know the professionals that have been working on it for 20 years uh it's you're duplicating a lot of effort you know that the people who build android and ios are professionals we we mock them we make fun of them because it's fun and that's our job but man it's hard to build a ui layer it's hard to build a good ui layer and i i tend to leave that to the professionals yeah and you know i think any of that is even you know even having access to that stuff above the abstraction right you look at dot and mount it's an abstraction on top of stuff right so it's there's always layers of based on what you're building. I think nowadays, as far as like performance and other stuff goes, I'm kind of like, I don't even care anymore. Like whether it's native or drawn or web, like, you know, you can make any, we've always said you can make anything not performant. <laughs> you can make anything performant, <laughs> right? Like there's the capabilities of the world. So I really, I really don't, I don't care anymore. I think whatever best on your skill, your language, like how, how you want to share code between different platforms, what are you building? Um, yeah. And then I, I agree with you. I think I look at the same thing, like as the operating systems evolve and add new features, how long do those take to come along or you just get them for free. And then additionally, is there like accessibility features, uh, that, that you need to get access to, right. And, and Mm -hmm. do those trickle down the line. And then that's sort of an important aspect, uh, for me as a developer. 
uh, and for a lot of companies and organizations, I think accessibility is is very very important. So and and not only just accessibility of the controls, but also uh, you know the localization and globalization. Uh, you know the, the native operating systems have a lot of things in there. Uh, beyond that, like there's so many of these different frameworks out there. I'm sure you'll find a language, a stack, <laughs> something that speaks to you, right? And some of them have lots of advantages. They run yeah. on different platforms. Some of them are code first. Some of them are XML first. Some are XAML first. Some are HTML first. Um, 2023, lots and lots of options of great things that are out there. Um, but yeah, those are the those would be the 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 cons, I guess. Overall, uh, pros is if you want it to be pixel perfect on every single screen. Yeah, there you go. You can get that Android look and feel on iOS. It's gonna be awesome. There you go. <laughs> uh, all right, number three. This will be straight to you. Uh, Danny asks. Danny's asking all the questions. How worried should we be about LLM AIs not being able to sort fact from fiction? And this was uh, this mm-hmm. was three weeks ago, which means that uh, they might be sorting fact from fiction now because things evolve so fast. Frank. You just ask the LLM, are you lying to me? And then, you know, you just believe it. Problem solved. No, this is this is such a hard question because have you read a Wikipedia article lately? How, yeah. how do you separate fact from fiction there? You know, it's these lines sadly are not a black and white difference, facts and fictions. You know, it'd be nice if it was. It'd be nice if there was not truthiness in the world, but sadly there is truthiness and you have to deal with it as an adult. You have to be able to take in multiple data sources that are perhaps conflicting and come to your own conclusions. AI doesn't change that. AI is just making it a little scarier because it's becoming a one source. You know, uh, when you could say there's a thousand websites on the American Civil War, you're going to get a thousand different opinions on the American Civil War. When you ask GPT-4 about the American Civil War, you're going to get kind of its average decided stance on that one. Yeah. And you're going to get a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a hard question. I think that always um, the more information is spread, the more we have to be concerned with these kinds of ideas, uh, what is truth and what is not truth. But that is a problem we've been working on ever since the information age has come out, ever since the internet was created. Anyone savvy on the internet knows that that's half your job on the internet, is deciding who's trying to manipulate you, what are their biases, what are your own biases walking into a situation. So, yeah, it's my, my fear is a little bit more that it's concentrated. Um, mm-hmm. I had a tweet today where I, I get concerned with the word safety, uh, companies using the word safety, because it's such a large and broad term. And what it really means is you're coming down on a, a philosophical ground. You are establishing an ethic. You are establishing an idea of harm and your definition of harm. And that requires a moral code and that requires an ethical code to define those words. And I get a little nervous with big corps doing it, deciding our culture. I think uh, the people should decide the culture. And it's just the same problem we've had forever, just maybe a little more concentrated now. Yeah, you know, I agree with you 100%. You know, I think if you peel back the layers, well, the layers have already been peeled back, like just browse, (laughs) browse uh, during any event uh, that's happening in the news and switch around to the different media outlets. 
they will all give you their own interpretation of the news, right? Uh, some of them, like NPR, are going to be pr pr priding themselves on facts, and others are going to be an interpretation of the facts, if that makes sense. So this is not new. Uh, in general, <laughs> your more Republican uh, stations are going to be more Republican. Your more liberal stations are going to be more liberal. Like it's there's like that's how that's how it is. That's in the newspapers, right? If you read a more conservative newspaper or you know um, media media site or follow a certain person, that there's that aspect of it. Um, and then not everything they say is, is true, right? That's also the point too. So I agree with you hundred percent. And and that's like, again, I agree it's through the history. So the question is how prolific will it become? Uh, yeah. And I think for me, the <laughs> one thing I would say is citations. I think that's the biggest thing when the Bing chat introduced citations is do your due diligence. Like you've always done like your Wikipedia, you know what I do? I go to the citations and I also look at stuff as well. And I'm looking at things and they have the little numbers. And that's what the Bing chat does. I think Bard is, is doing that as well now. So I think it'll evolve. So uh, as us users, we'll have more information and the context will be more aware. And maybe even the answers that ChatGPT that will respond is it'll, it'll incorporate the where it got the information. So that would be kind of cool. Yeah. And I also want to throw out there that these are probabilistic machines. So if mm. you ask it a question, you with a good user interface, an app with a good user interface, you can get 12 different responses from it, from the same question. It's yeah. probabilist, it's statistical. And so, you know, take the average of those 12, you know, don't always take its first answer. Uh, I think that's just a smart way to use it that sadly none of the UIs are exposing. They're not demonstrating its uh, statistical nature enough, in my opinion. Because it's multi-opinionated itself. <laughs> All we'll get AIs. there. It can't help not be. Yeah, we'll get there, I think. All right, here we oh, go. Okay, one, one, no, oh, one, one more quick reference. Okay. Oh, oh, I gotta okay. go there. Oh, oh, I gotta oh, go oh. there. Okay. <laughs> if we're looking into the far out future, uh, I think no one did it better than Neil Stevenson in the book Anathem. Uh, he predicted all this. And the, the, the worst case scenario is that the internet just gets flooded with misinformation because now it's so easy to generate stuff. We can flood the internet with misinformation. Yeah. The hopeful bounce back from that would be we would develop networks to discover misinformation and it's just going to be a small little arms race. We've done it before. We'll do it again. I hope it doesn't come to that, but uh, no system is unbounded. There is always a negative feedback. There is always a positive yeah. feedback, but preferably negative feedback on systems. I feel Nothing like we're doing unbounded. that. I feel like we're doing that now. There's misinformation all over the place, right? So, yeah. and that yeah. there are networks, you know, like when, when Meta was all about like trying to, you know, decipher, you know, I was reading a tweet from, uh, from Mr. Elon Musk. And in it, there was uh, citations of how it was inaccurate. And then there was automated responses to it and community responses to them that were tailored about how uh, not only was it misleading, but also false in many, many ways. So there you go. <laughs> so, I mean, these, these, these systems are in places of pe people, just like a, a person can say anything they want. So can the AI to some extent. Uh, how secure or not is most encryption? Seeing what we're talking about, uh, the 256 and MD5 <laughs> hashing and all this goodness. Yeah. Uh, how secure is it? I, it's pretty dang secure, you know, um, since depends. pretty smart people invented it. Yeah. Depends on the encryption. I, I, Has it been cracked? I don't know. Well, 
Very few have been cracked. Uh, Mostly the cracks are people's misimplementation of them and or a bug in a, you know an open ssl bug or something like that the algorithms themselves are pretty darn sound i mean maybe the 128 ones are there you can crack them maybe but you, you bounce yourself up to 256 bit and we're, we're talking entropy of the universe stuff here and so without like a bug in your implementation it's pretty darn secure especially all your like uh, private public key exchanges, that kind of stuff. That, that algorithm's tight. That, that, you're not going to break that algorithm. You, it was designed to prevent man in the middle and that kind of stuff. So I'd say the biggest problem with encryption is, and this sadly is becoming even more prevalent, everyone rolling their own. So like Jot came out, mm. JWT. And Jot was a little bit annoying to implement, so everyone implemented it themselves. And there's buggy versions of Jot everywhere. And so is that is that the security of the encryption, or is that the security of the terrible software we developers write? I don't know. Um, the algorithms, though, I feel like are very strong. Yeah, and also at the same point, you know, I think that people also need to take advantage of these new uh, forms of encryption too. So a good example of this is I just got a new Wi-Fi router. Um, this is an Orbi pro and I'm very, I, I bought, uh, I bought them and I bought satellite and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's a nice, uh, hardware. It has all the latest features. Like it's modern. It just came out like this year it has yeah. all the whiz bang features and you, out of the box, the default is just a, a WPA two uh, <laughs> yeah. thing for most of them. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. I was going through the settings. And then, then I was like, there's a WPA three, which is the Wi-Fi um, uh, protect protected access. WPA three actually came out um, a, five years ago, basically, or something like that. Okay. Uh, the certification began in 2018. WPA three itself is now mandatory for all new devices. But a lot of these IOT devices aren't there. They do have fallback. But this is the 256 mode, basically, right? Um, up, updating um, there. The new yeah. standard, it says, uses 192-bit encryption, which is AES-256 in GCM mode with a SHA-384 in HMAC. So uh, what I didn't realize, and actually when I flipped it on, my Windows uh, PC connected to the the network. It was like, hey, just want to let you know. There's like literally notifications like, your Wi-Fi is more secure and more fast than ever because you have WPA3. I was like, whoa, I didn't even know this existed because it's like, I'm, I'm, who's keeping up with Wi-Fi standards? Now, I did have to turn on like the backwards compat mode because you can do WPA3 mixed mode so you get all your IoT devices. But these new routers actually have isolation. So all my IoT devices are on a separate SSID with the mixed mode and then all my modern nice. devices are on a, a standard one, which is cool. So again, are your devices implementing the latest uh, encryption and security is, <laughs> or do you have hardware that is, can take access to that? And then same thing with software, right? Are we taking advantage of the latest stuff? Or are we just, you know, um, SHA, yeah. you know, MD5ing uh, things for, for no good reason. I still so. MD5, MD5 is a fine hash. Okay. If it's people hash. aren't actively attacking you, MD5 is fine. Everyone, <laughs> yeah. it's fast. It's fine. Um, I, I just, I, I have to throw in, I love your example of the routers. I don't know if they're still doing it today, but the last router I bought, yeah, yeah, they add all this beautiful encryption stuff and everything to it. And then they enable this thing called like WPS, <laughs> yeah. which is literally a seven digit code, not alphanumeric digit. 
that you can rainbow attack in approximately three seconds and break into anyone's router. And everyone's router has it turned on. Everyone, turn off WPS. Let me tell you, it's it's not trivial to hack. It's a joke of it's it's like baby's first hack is break into a router with WPS. Okay, so please turn it off. This goes back to my thing. Like, yeah, it's great. Our encryption's wonderful, and then we undermine it with all this yeah. BS. <laughs> but I can go to my my printer, Frank, and I can click click a one button, and it'll connect automatically. <laughs> no password to type uh, in. So secure. All right, last question, uh, and I and I'll kick off this one because I have a great one, uh, which is full <laughs> self driving ever question mark vehicles. I'm assuming because I I self drive myself around the city all the time. Um, nice. Now. I have a friend that lives in Phoenix and he recently uh, took a Waymo self-driving fully autonomous one, no person in the car from his house to the airport. Um, How do you think that went Frank? I feel like that program has been running for a while now. So I'm guessing it went perfectly. Maybe, maybe a little disorientation in the beginning. Like maybe you think you're being kidnapped, but Mm. until that point, probably okay. Uh, so I think that that is fairly accurate. I think after (laughs) the being in the, in the car and getting used to no person being there, I believe the overall experience as my friend would say subpar. And here's why, uh, one, uh, it hasn't expanded yet. So there's a lot of things. So one, it expanded to a region where he could get picked up and he get dropped off at the airport. The problem is, uh, after he got in the car, uh, Waymo's, they don't go on the highway. So in Phoenix, it decided to take the back road all the way. <laughs> does not do it uh, all the way. And it likes to stay in the right hand lane. It doesn't really want to merge very actively. And what he mostly said is it's almost being overly secure. So it's very almost uh, not jarring. It's, it's not like it's slamming on the brakes, but it's it's a more subtle stop than you would like for it to do. And when you're taking back roads and not the highway, it's quite often. Additionally, because self-driving vehicles cannot drop off people at the airport, it dropped him off at the shuttle to get to the airport uh, in general. So instead of taking an Uber with a person or driving, it would take about 30 minutes. It took almost an hour to get to the airport. Yeah. And he had to pay for it. And he had to pay for it. We didn't have to tip. That was a good thing. You didn't have to tip anybody, uh, but he did have to pay for it. So that that's, I don't know. It'll probably happen. Why not? It's the Jetsons. Well, I guess they did. They had to drive themselves, but the Jetsons us, you know, we'll be flying Wasn't around he somewhere. Wasn't like sipping coffee and not really paying attention though? Um, he, he, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. He, I think he was. Yeah. George was definitely doing that. Yeah, you're right. I'm going to rewatch the intro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I might be making that up. I haven't seen it since I was five. Um, I, I, I've had this discussion for the last 30 years, I feel like. Um, I've always been down. Absolutely, it's happening. I think everyone was a little too optimistic with the early time frame. I grew up working in car companies. I know how slowly they move. <laughs> Not only that, I know how slowly the government moves. I know how regulations work. You know, we have been trying to put digital rearview mirrors on cars for the last 20 years, and they're just not there. Yeah. They're not there for many reasons because mostly safety and government. And so it's 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 always going to be slower than we want it to be. Definitely slower than Elon is going to say it's going to yeah. be. 
Um, it's a little sad that they're overly conservative. I guess that makes sense. I mean, it's a computer. It could it could outrace anyone on that road. It it, it will it will pull four G's and do the turn. It can do that. Yeah. Um, so this is all just safety and liability stuff. Yeah. And like you said, it takes time to roll out these things, especially on mass scale. I mean, look at just EV rollout, right? I mean, and even is that technology we were talking today? It's like, well, if we went to this big hike that was 180 miles away or so from our house, we, we it was a eight, eight mile hike to see all these falls. And it was really beautiful. There was four EV chargers at the state park. I was surprised <laughs> there was any, but, yeah. um, you know, where do we charge a car? Right. I mean, so even to that aspect, right? Like, how does that roll out? How do I get a self-driven car to take me all the way to this thing? What does it do? How do I get back? So <laughs> there's a lot of these uh, things to think about in general as things go on. But yeah, uh, you know, 20, maybe 20, 40, 20, 45. Yeah. You know, when I was first making my guesses was back in like 2004. And I was saying by the 2030s, we would have mm. fully autonomous. But here in the year of 2023, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I might have. I thought because everyone else was saying like 2015 and all these other numbers. I'm like, yeah. no, that's not happening. I was saying 2030, and now I feel like even I was being a little optimistic. Yeah. That being said, my friend did take a fully autonomous vehicle yes. to the airport in 2023, and that's kind of mind-boggling. Like that happened. It was yeah. maybe not the greatest experience in the entire world, but he did it. Did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. What did the, uh, I, I'm curious what the shuttle driver had to say after they got picked up. Yeah. Is the shuttle driver feel like, yeah, I'm the last mile. And that's yeah. this is my lot in life. I'm going to be driving the last one mile for all yeah. these stupid autonomous cars. <laughs> That'd be funny. <laughs> well, actually, you know what? I think it's not even a shuttle. I think it's an air, air taxi that is autonomous already. Oh. Like, you know, the thing. So it was going from one autonomous source to another okay. autonomous source. A less trustworthy robot to a more trustworthy robot. <laughs> yeah, those now those autonomous vehicles, you know, those 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 uh, monorail things, rails. Those are, yeah. yeah, you can't mess that up. Uh, all right. Well, if you're interested in writing into the show and getting your lightning topics, because we do this every ten episodes, go to mergeconflict.fm. You can tweet at us at mergeconflict.fm. You can email us. You can hit up me or Frank on uh, Twitter or whatever we're at, or leave comments anywhere on any place that we post anything. But that is going to do it for this week's Merge Conflict. I'm going to add this puppy up. We're going to get a whole bunch of sleep for the holiday day. Uh, But that's going to do it for this week. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Kruger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.